Welcome to Inside Jeremy in Kentucky here on Republic Broadcasting Network, your source for free speech and truth. Please go to republicbroadcasting.org, smash that donate, send the fundage, mail your check of money order payable to RBN 2251 Double Creek Drive, Suite 302, Round Rock, Texas, 78664, 1-800-724-2719, extension 3. Get your debit or credit card in, get a recurring donation going, and uh, help keep the station going. This is your Tuesday night broadcast, the Patrick and Jeremy show, much anticipated, much talked about around the water cooler. Patrick, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm fine today. Thank you very much. I And regarding the, uh, the fundage, I do hear that it's uh, worse than usual needed. Well, it has been for a while. Um, I guess I don't know if the economy's getting bad or what. People are just, you know, budgets are tight. But five, ten bucks, I mean, that's all it would take for a thousand people to give that. So uh, let's get it going. We we let's, have let's some do news. this thing. Yeah, we have some news. Um. I don't know if you want to go a particular place. Uh, I guess we could do the Israel stuff that kind of is do- it's going to be dominating, you know, the news for a while. I'm, I'm really surprised it's going on this long before we get into this. Uh, this first article, um, I'm kind of shocked. I mean, really, isn't it a testament to Jewish power around the globe that no country is intervening in this? Like Israel just no. has point range. Okay, Yemen is totally intervening. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yemen, You're right. Yemen doesn't share that they don't share a border, but they're totally intervening. And with um, you've got low level stuff going on with Lebanon, which which is effectively guarded by Hezbollah. They are they are part of what you could call a broad ruling coalition. I don't know if they're formally in the government or not, but their their military defends Lebanon. Um, it's not full scale yet, but but nevertheless, you're making a valid point that it is a testament to Jewish power that uh, that the rest of the world is proceeding so cautiously. And of course, you know, Yemen and Iran obviously not dominated by um, Jewish power. Would it be fair to say that the major countries around the world, including Russia and China, are being cautious because of some sort of ties to Jewish power? I think the prime reason, the the major reason, the primary reason for the caution isn't because uh, there is Jewish power, some sort of latent Jewish power in Iran or in Russia. I think... It has a lot to do with Israel's nuclear arsenal, because you got you got a country that's that's run by kind of crazy people, and they've got they've got a a substantial nuclear arsenal, and they've got delivery systems. They got the Jericho missiles that can that are intercontinental. They've got these Dolphin class submarines, which were gifted to them by Germany. Oh, you 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 say you've got this. Uh, what do they call it? Samson, Samson option where you might want to knock out all of the uh, European capitals. Let's help you with that. Here, here are some submarines that will help you with that. 
And of course, they've got what used to be called the third biggest air force in in the world. I don't know if it ever was, but they've got a, a very they've got a a substantial nuclear strike force. I think that's that's a big deal. And uh, that's with Israel. And I think also, um, you know, already you had this precarious situation with the United States backing Ukraine in a proxy war with Russia. Um, I think uh, I think other countries are uh, very cautious about uh, 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 in a time where a world war could happen. Uh, expanding a regional war. I think that's really where the caution is coming from rather than Jewish power within these these countries. Uh, and last thing I'll say is I, I think Hamas initiated, planned and initiated the July, the October 7th incident on its own. I think had it tried to coordinate with Iran or Hezbollah or I, th- I think they would have been told don't do it, don't do it now, don't do it now. And I think they they wanted to provoke a crisis because they had because however many years you want to call this, if you want to call it 18 years is enough, if you want to call it, um, you know, 70, what would it be? 75 years, it's enough. They had had enough. And uh, if if they had tried to coordinate with other countries, they'd be told that now is not the right time. And I, I think they just wanted to provoke something uh, and, you know, throw the dice and see what comes up. That's, that's what I think. Okay. We'll get into the first uh, article. America is now formally begging Israel to drop the Rafa assault. So if I understand right, um, majority of the Palestinians have been pushed into Rafa. And now Israel's moving to assault that area. Or they are assaulting it, actually. Um, and let's see, where is this? I got this from the Stormer, but he's quoting The Guardian. The U.S. has proposed a U.N. Security Council resolution calling for a temporary ceasefire and for Israel not to go ahead with a planned offensive on Rafah in South Gaza. The draft text marks the first time the U.S. has explicitly backed a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas conflict. Uh, U.S. is getting a little nervous with this, too. You're even uh, big brother U.S., you know, is even um, even kind of scared of the situation, I think, um, even with, uh, you know, Newland and Blinken at the helm. Mm, they seem to be a little hesitant on this. Um, Gaza has, a, let's see, half of Gaza's 2.3 million population have sought refuge in Rafa. Wow. Um, of course, it talks about Joe Biden making comments. We don't care about him. Um, according to the text seen by The Guardian, the U.S. draft resolution says the Security Council determines that under current circumstances, a major ground offensive in Rafa would result in further harm to civilians and their further displacement, including potentially into neighboring countries, which would have serious implications for regional peace and security, and therefore underscores that such a major ground offensive should not proceed under current circumstances. Uh, you think this thing's going to have any teeth, this uh, resolution? Or is it going to be just all talk? Resolution, you're talking about another UN resolution? Yeah, the U.S. Propo- I was making the case that the, even the U.S. is getting nervous on, 
of this, uh, you know, the public outcry. And so this resolution made to the UN is calling for Israel to ceasefire. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm yeah. wondering if it's going to have any teeth. Well, again, so Israel's both its response to October 7th, and I, I think that we have to say its provoca- provocation of October 7th, because October 7th didn't happen in a vacuum. And what was the Hamas uh, name for their for their military operation? It was Operation Al Aqsa Flood. The Al Aqsa Mosque, which is the third, said to be. I mean, I'm not a Muslim. I don't know, but uh, it's said to be the third most holy site in Islam. Uh, it there there are forces in the uh, Israeli cabinet that that want to tear it down and build a uh, the, the third temple there. This is why I, last week on uh, part two of Jer- of uh, Patrick and Jeremy, I asked you about this, and you, you might need to refresh people's memory if they didn't hear the first show. But this has uh, um, a, a lot of what's, what is driving events right now is biblical prophecy, which, which means an awful lot to these people in the Netanyahu's cabinet. And so uh, I, I think that the, the actions of Israel, uh, both in the provocation, the, uh, the uh, maneuvering to tear down the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and in the aftermath, this, this um, bloody, bloody uh, mass murder of children and women, uh, presumably to get at a few Hamas fighters, that this is something that the Israelis have... Uh, undertaken of their own agency. This, as I said, Hamas. I, I have the feeling that Hamas uh, did their attack on their on their own. They made the decision. This is this isn't the this isn't Victoria Newland or uh, or Anthony Blinken prodding the Israelis to do to do their bidding. No, this is the Israelis. They've got their own I- idea about things, and and in. Particularly, you know, the Netanyahu government. I, I think the uh, more secular people who back the opposition to the Netanyahu government probably would not have wanted to tear down the Al-Aqsa Mosque, at least not at this time. So these are decisions that are being taken independently. And uh, had had is- Israel been consulting with the United States beforehand, um, they would have been told, "Don't do these things." Not that mm-hmm. the it, not that the United States isn't run by Jewish supremacists, because it, for all intents and purposes, it is run by Jewish uh, supremacists. But they their agenda is they have a somewhat different perspective on things. Their 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 agenda has different priorities. And uh, say tearing down the Al Aqsa Mosque and building a third temple uh, to bring on a a false messiah or whatever is not as high on the agenda. I I don't know where it fit on the agenda, but they're they're they have um, other priorities. So I I know that's always kind of rambling. Some of my responses. Uh, I'll kick it back to you to get us reoriented. It does seem like there's a. Uh, a sharp contrast in Jewish power here uh, between the Israeli government under Yahoo and the diaspora. 
Diaspora doesn't seem to be as gung-ho about this, and they're sort of getting nervous. It's really causing a, a backlash, an anti-Semitic backlash. And uh, interestingly enough, the Christian Zionists are just still cheering this on, uh, you know, represented by the false preacher John Hagee in Texas. Um, and as we mentioned last week, um, the Christian Zionists see the Third Temple as as a mark, and actually it is. Um it's, it's the next thing that's supposed to happen in prophecy. When you see that third temple, you know that what they would call the seven-year tribulation is near. Now, I know we're getting into some religious stuff, but it, but it's it's relevant here. The seven-year tribulation is comes out of Daniel 9. This is a prophecy that Israel will make a covenant with this world leader, this prince that is to come, um, that we would call the Antichrist. Paul calls him the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians 2, and that this man will sit in the third temple declaring himself as God. Um, he'll be a very powerful religious and political and military leader. So there's three aspects that he dominates in there, political, religious, and military. He'll be a military conqueror. Uh, Daniel 11 states that he goes to war with uh, three countries. Um, we've identified two of them, and the north is going to be Syria, and in the south is going to be Egypt. And he looks to control the area that we would call the greater Israel. So we sort of see for the last 20 years, you know, since Project for the New American Century has been kicking off, we see that how the United States has been used as muscle to clear these areas out, to get them the greater Israel. Um, this is all going to overlap interestingly with the belt and road initiative now i was predicting last night on my show that when russia and china drags israel to the table i think it's a matter of when not if that part of the leverage that they will have over israel is to you know hey you behave or we'll cut you out of the belt and road initiative we'll cut you out of it um so there'll be some financial pressure um that's my prediction um, and I think, if I, if I may make one more prediction, and I want to get your opinion, I think that part of the resolution could be a third temple. And, you know, this is controlled by Sunnis, this, this mosque that we're talking about here in question, Alaska, um, with, you know, I, I would say the Sunni majority being in, in Saudi Arabia, who have always been allies with the U.S. and Israel. Um, but as the Muslim community draws closer together in opposition of this genocide, um, I don't see why they wouldn't come to the table with Israel and let them build their temple in exchange for, you know, a cessation in violence. What do you think of that? Do you see any pitfalls in that prediction? Okay. I, I, I want to make sure. Build a temple doesn't building a, a temple. I suppose you could build a temple right next door to the mosque, but um, is that what you were, you were positing? That, that, that's one option. You could relocate the mosque rather than just tear it down, just move it. That's an option. What I'm getting at, Patrick, is I, I'm thinking that part of the resolution that will appease Israel will be to get them their third temple. And and that could either be right beside the mosque or relocating the mosque. And with the with the Sunnis and Shiites coming together, I mean that could be a very distinct possibility. 
and that and and that I think as we've talked about that Russia and China will push this. Right? They will put they're gonna they're gonna have to eventually take a hold. The adults are gonna have to come in the room and and bring it into this because the U.S. isn't doing anything. I don't think this UN resolution is gonna have any teeth. The only way you're gonna get Israel in line is by force or by coercion. And I think coercion to be involved in Belt and Road is going to be what it's going to take. Well, so, I mean, the, the real estate, uh, the, the, why why is it the third most holy site? Um, is that supposedly the, the spot where something, Muhammad did something? Muhammad did something, he, he stood on a spot and heard God's words or whatever i can't i you know that's it's not my um it's not my field but but uh, there's supposedly a precise location that that muhammad did something there's supposedly a precise location that the temple was obviously the mosque which has been rebuilt uh, uh a couple of times i think the the current mosque was it rebuilt in the 12th century or something it's been built and destroyed a couple times um but it's an extremely old building. It's been there for um, several hundred years. Uh, picking up and moving it would be would be rough. But then also, if it's there because this is the precise spot where God talked to Moses about something, um, I, I don't know how acceptable that would be. Regarding the Belt and Road Initiative, you know the and again, this is this is a real estate question. The the reason that that Israel um, has a valuable position in the Belt and Road is because in order to, to, to access Africa through land transportation, you've got to go um, through the Sinai. The, the Sinai Peninsula is right there, and the Sinai is, is Egyptian, And I'm alone Skin Yet chill me to the bone Do you begin to smell some funky little things going on? Let me share this story with you. It's not so much a story, it's something I wrote years ago. Read your history, people. Stock markets collapse on Friday. Bank seizures, closures, holidays take place after business hours on Friday. Do currencies or governments also collapse on Friday? <laughs> Tomorrow's Friday. Will the end come on this Friday or will the inevitable collapse hold off for a while? The next round of the worst financial crisis in a hundred years is coming, people. And the government is out to make you and I pay for it. And will your savings survive a global banking wipeout? What happens when the U.S. sees hyperinflation? What if taxes soar not only for the rich? Can you survive the stock market tanks? Look, between a stock market wipeout, waves of bank failures, soaring government spending that will lead to hyperinflation and the destruction of the dollar's value, isn't it time that you prepare for the uncertainty which lies ahead? Protect your money now or forever kiss it goodbye. My friends, I offer you over six decades experience of hard asset ownership and knowledge. 
and are prepared to handle the smallest detail in the balanced protection of your portfolio. For as the future of uncertainty continues to blanket this nation of ours, I believe that I can offer you the privacy, safety, security, and possibly some profitability which you deserve. And so I invite you to visit SierraMondrePreciousMetals.com for further information regarding protecting your wealth. Or call me, Jeffrey Bennett, at 602-799-8214. Or by email at KettleMoraineLTD at Cox.net for private consultation. Once again, our phone number 602-799-8214. It's almost Friday. My name is John, I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee, it's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumer's house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted, it's one of the best beans that we can get, and you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. transportation you've got to go um through the sinai the, the sinai peninsula is right there and the sinai is is egyptian and the and its border with asia is the egypt israel border well um now if you were to have a, an independent palestinian state uh supposedly it's 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 it is supposed to be on um, the pre nineteen sixty seven boundaries. Well, th- that would mean the the West Bank and uh, East Jerusalem, which are contiguous, and they are um, they border Jordan, and then you've got Gaza, which by now probably ho- hopefully most people have, are familiar with, which is a very small strip of land on the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, sandwiched between Israel and the Mediterranean and then with a very small about a seven mile wide border with Egypt at Rafah, what we're talking about today now in the East Bank I'm sorry, in the West Bank in East Jerusalem you have something like at least 700,000 Jewish settlers there and they were put there purposely as a stumbling block, purposely to make a, tra- a an independent state there uh, impossible because there would be so many Jews, and you can't, you can't expect them to move, right? Well, you can't expect them to move now after the, the Israeli government has destroyed the homes of two million people in Gaza. Now you can't expect them to move. 
and there's more momentum for uh, un- for the 1967 borders without adjustments because the Camp David Accords, all of the peace talks that have been, have been going on for the past several decades, uh, that's the thing. You Oh, well, we're going to have to make adjustments to the border, adjustments to the border. So that's always been on the table, adjustments to the border. Now they're off the table. They have, Nobody's talking about adjustments to the border now. Well, okay, here's one thing. Uh, if you were to have an adjustment to the border where um, is it, where Israel gets to keep some of the most densely populated settlements that are closest to uh, pre-67 Israel, what do they have to give up? Now, in the past, the idea is, well, maybe they can give up. The, I mean, the seriously, seriously, the proposals that had been proposed by Israel had been you you give us um, for every like two square miles of good land you give us where our Jews are currently situated we'll give you one mile one square mile of of uh, unpopulated uh, land in the Nagiv desert one square mile two to one which is just insane no nobody would accept that but that's that's how these Jews are well that's that's the best deal you're gonna get goy so. But but now uh, you bring up the Belt and Road. What would be valuable to the uh, Palestinians would be a a uh, corridor of land from the West Bank to Gaza. If you had a corridor of land from the West Bank to Gaza, which would which would cut Israel in half. If you had this corridor of land. And that was the Belt and Road Corridor. That's where the highway and train would go. Uh, then Israel would be cut out. They would be cut out of the, uh, you know, and it could be a, a, a corridor of land that um, isn't very wide. And you could have bridges or tunnels that would join uh, the Nagiv Desert to the rest of Israel. Um, but... I, that's actually something that's kind of feasible, but they would be cut out of the Belt and Road Initiative and Palestine with its border with Sa- at Rafa, with its border with Sinai and its border with Jordan. The Belt, the Belt and Road infrastructure could c- come in through Jordan, go through the West Bank, go through that that uh, newly created corridor, go to Gaza and then go out the Rafa uh, border crossing into Egypt. And that would connect Asia with Africa. So I'm just I've never heard anybody talk about this, but if if the Belt and Road Initiative was to be used as um, as leverage, this is a a possibility. So I'm just throwing it out there. So, yeah, um, firstly, uh, the Alaska Mosque is where the Muslims believe that uh, Muhammad ascended to heaven. Um and then for the Jews, the Temple Mount, which they call Mount Zion, is the place where it's believed that um, the patriarch Abraham built an altar to the Lord, where he was commanded to sacrifice his son Isaac, and then the Lord stopped him. Um, this is sort of a this is sort of a, a Christ-like type prophecy: how God would sacrifice his son Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. This, this is why the whole story of Abraham, the point being that this is why this site is holy. Back to the, the greater Israel area in the Belt and Road, if a person could control that area, 
the greater Israel, they could control the Belt and Road. I think that's a fair assessment. So this area, once again, is going to become relevant to global trade. It's kind of been irrelevant since you've had the U.S. and the West, right? The the U.S. being a global dominant power. Um, Let's see, Alexander the Great. There's no one taking your place since you've been gone. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news. Real talk, real people, because you can handle the truth. Hi, Tom Bolton for Ease Off. I know so many of you are finding our EZ4 carcass drop and lift an essential tool for your meat processing operation. But today I want to spotlight four of our new products. First, our right height hog cradles with steel or aluminum frames. Our customers love this back-saving innovation that enhances sanitation and speeds production. Next, our beef cradles with stainless steel or aluminum frames eliminate rust and corrosion. We hope you'll compare our quality and prices for this essential part of your processing line. Our cradles are especially effective when used with our power skinner. And finally, our hook tumbler will keep your hooks clean and polished. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Easeoff, LLC, 417-932-6419. Tehebo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea helps build red corpuscles in the blood, which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113, drinksupertea.com. Here's some interesting news. Due to all the recent claims about possible nuclear wars, viruses, solar flares, and civil unrest, people are scrambling to prepare and stockpile food. But the one thing out of reach for many is an underground bunker. Until now. Because you can now have a 3D printed underground bunker in just one day. An excavator digs a hole in your backyard, and 3dbunkers.com shows up in a small truck and sets up their 3D printer under a tent completely undetected. They can print as many rooms as you want at a fraction of the cost compared to traditional metal bunkers. 3D Bunkers uses polymer concrete, which is five times stronger than regular cement. YouTube 3DBunkers.com and watch the video. The creators of 3D Bunkers is looking for a business partner that can help bring this technology to the world. And we need to protect our way of life without living in fear. Contact Brad at 3DBunkers.com for more details or visit 3DBunkers.com. Memory, your lifeline is burning holes. Recover the damage, bring it all home. Follow 
it's kind of been irrelevant since you've had the U.S. and the West, right? The uh, U.S. being a global dominant power. Um, let's see, Alexander the Great um, realized this. He he controlled this entire area. When he died, his, his four generals took it, uh, the greater Israel area. And then you had the Silk Road, um, you know, following after that. Very, very important area. So it's interesting that this area once again becomes relevant just in the last probably five years um, as as U.S. hegemony is decreasing. Um, so this would this would mean there's going to be a collapse of the West if the West is no longer going to be relevant. The West meaning the U.S. Uh, in specific. So th- there is all that. Um, so it may be more than just a holy site for Israel. They probably understand this very, very clearly that they can control global trade if they could control this whole area. Is that, is that a good surmise of what you were talking about? Well, yeah, I mean, global trade, it's um, its not global trade exactly, but but a portion, a portion, a portion. Um, how much trade is there? How much land trade could there be between Asia and Africa? Um, you're talking about really big distances. But one thing about Africa is it really doesn't – It's um, it doesn't have uh, – very good. It doesn't have a lot of natural ports. You look at the map of Africa, and um, it's it's good to look at maps and globes. It's very smooth. Very, so to draw Africa is very easy. You can draw that really easily. There's there. It's very smooth. There's there. They just don't have natural ports. They don't. You look at at Europe, um, and you got all these peninsulas going out all over the place. You know, you've got. Um, Denmark sticks out. You got the Scandinavian Peninsula uh, sticking down. You got uh, what? Brittany sticking out. Iberia sticking out. Italy sticking out. Greece sticking out. You got all these peninsulas everywhere. It's really, really jagged. And when the coastline is jagged, it means you've got a, a lot of natural ports. And East Asia is like that as well. Um, and the you know the East Coast, coast of the United States, it's got these rivers coming into it. It's got all these estuaries. So. You got the uh, Hudson River coming down into New York. You got the Delaware River coming down into Philadelphia. You got the um, Susquehanna River going down into Baltimore, into the Chesapeake Bay, all the stuff around the Chesapeake Bay. Um, it Africa doesn't have that. Africa does have some ports right along the edges. But then, then the other problem Africa has is it doesn't have good water communication between uh, the coast and upriver. You have a lot of uh, waterfalls and things like that. So it geographically, Africa isn't really well disposed for global trade. It's that you know some people say, oh, it's not that blacks are are incapable of these things. It's just that they inherited a uh, a continent that didn't have uh, natural ports and has a lot of tsetse flies. I mean, that's there are people who who hang on to cling on to that as an explanation for African lack of development. But the thing is, I know this. Everything I do is long winded. Um, you do have a possibility if, if you had um, high-speed rail, uh, and we're talking about really big difference distances here because uh, Europe, I mean, I'm sorry, Asia is by far the biggest continent, and, and uh, Africa is the second biggest continent. And so you're talking about incredible difference, uh, distances. And for long distances, sea, sea transportation is a lot cheaper, but 
uh, if you have like a really smooth and good railroad, that's that's not too ex- you know that's not insurmountably expensive. Uh, you, you could have um, yeah, you could have a, a significant trade between Africa and uh, and Asia, and it, and the land the land transportation would be going through that that corridor. And so, yeah, it would be valuable. Uh, the sea transportation is already going th- just it's, it's going through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. That is super important, super busy. And that's what the, the Houthis are doing. Um, and so the Houthis are picking off boats, shipping, going to, to Israel's southern port uh, through the Mediterranean or through the uh, Red Sea. So. Yeah, you do have all these choke points all over the place, uh, and these choke points, a lot of times we take them for granted, but the Panama Canal, the Suez Canal, the Straits of Hormuz, the Straits of Malacca, uh, a lot of these, these you look at the map um, of these really important shipping routes, and uh, it, with the exception of the Panama Canal, there was a time where the British Empire controlled them all, the Straits of Gibraltar. You know, they've got this tiny little colony right at Gibraltar on the southern tip of Spain. Why does why does England have a little colony on the southern tip of Spain? But they do. So anyway, uh, I've rambled enough. I kick it back to you again. I mean, the reason I was making a point of, of global trade being centered there in Asia, uh, specifically the greater Israel, Africa. I mean, the U.S. has pretty much given up its production in the last 30 years. It relies heavily uh, on this region. So that's why I'm saying it's now the West has now become irrelevant and, and this area of Eurasia is, be, is becoming prominent. Um, that That's the point that I was making. Anyway, uh, we got the next article. Did you have more on this? No. Nope. 52 countries attending the world courts hearing on Israeli occupation of the West Bank. Uh, there's, a uh, text here from Five Pillars on X, the International Court of Justice, and the Hague hearing is hearing from 52 countries and three organizations on the uh, legal consequences of Israel's occupation of the West Bank, Gaza, and East Jerusalem. Again, a lot of talk. Uh, let's see. From CNN, International Court of Justice has begun hearing historic oral arguments on Monday over the Israeli occupation of territory claimed by the Palestinians. One guy speaking at this conference and my computer's messing up. This guy speaking at the conference is saying that the Israeli governments have given the Palestinian people only three options, displacement, subjugation, or death. Ethnic cleansing, apartheid, or genocide. But our people are here to stay. Um, anyway, again, you have a lot of talk, a lot of uh, global outrage. Uh, not much I'm seeing that's going to be done. What about this International Court of Justice? How how powerful is this? What's the, the significance of it? Well, I, I, it's not powerful in that it doesn't it doesn't have an army. Um, so it, but it's part of a, a general general diplomacy that's going to be going on in the, in the United Nations. Uh, the United Nations was set up with a general assembly where all countries have their own one vote. And then the Security Council, which has five permanent members, United States, uh, Soviet Union, which became Russia, uh, China, Great Britain, or United Kingdom, and France. There's a, they have a permanent, permanent seat on the uh, Security Council, and they have 
uh, a veto. So if they vote against something, even if the vote's 14 to 1, uh, it, they all five of these countries have a veto. Then you've got 10 other countries that are elected from regions, uh, and they get two-year terms, and so they cycle in and out. Um, the, the, the way it was designed was the bulk of the power, for instance, the power to uh, send troops, peacekeepers or whatever, to a, a region would be taken at the Security Council. But at some point, and I don't remember why or exactly when, uh, there was a provision called, what was it called? Not Partnership for Peace, but something for peace. Um, maybe it was called Partnership for Peace. Uh, there's some provision where, whereby the uh, Gen- General Assembly can take on uh, or, or force, force action. Um, and so, of course, you know, the United Nations at, at, the end of the, at the end of the day does not have its own troops. Okay, it has to rely on troops supplied by member countries. Um, and so really, at the end of the day, it's it's various countries um, being willing and able to enforce uh, decisions that were made at the U.N. that gives the U.N. any power at all. I, I think this is the, the diplomacy moves really, really slowly. And of course, the tragedy is. Um, somebody can get a waterborne illness today and be dead in a in a day or two, and you know it's 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 amazing that there has has not been more of that. You know there have been a lot of people who have died by being in buildings that get bombed and then the buildings collapse on them. So I don't know what we're at this this morbid death total. It was maybe was it twenty seven thousand last time I checked and. Uh, you could have a, some sort of cholera epidemic or something like that. They would just wipe out tens of thousands of people in, in a week. You could have something like that. Um, and it, it seems like it's almost inevitable. Uh, and that can happen very, very quickly. The, this diplomacy stuff is going to take a long time. Um, and, you know, everybody's saying nobody nobody will do it, take any action. Nobody will take any action. <clears throat> but... Um, People, I, th- I think, a you've got who are, who are the adults in the room? Well, you got Vladimir Putin, who's preoccupied with the uh, Ukraine war for one thing, but also has demonstrated he's a very, very cautious person, extremely cautious. And um, you know, Israel's got a nuclear arsenal. Uh, the Chinese, Xi Jinping, it's pretty similar. They're, they've got they're um, they act in a very methodical way. You got the Arab League. The Arab League, uh, to a large extent, had been bought off by the United States. But And I think this is what's um, transformative about what's going on now. The Arab League, you know, the big countries, Egypt had been kicked out of the Arab League for making peace with Israel, but they got brought back like 20 years ago or so. They've been, they've been a mainstay of the Arab League. And then you got the Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states uh, that, that are mainstays. But the Arab League... The um, three leading members of the Arab League, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and uh, United Arab Emirates, just joined BRICS. And so they're moving away from the – the level of dependence by some of these countries on the United States is going down. And, and as the United States becomes weaker and less relevant, um, it's 
you're you're going to see a, a realignment of uh, not just world politics but regional politics. Um, so you know, I think this is going to be. I, I don't know if anybody's going to stop tens of thousands more Gazans dying, but I think in the the long the long run, if if we're looking over the course the rest of 2024, for instance, this could go on for for several more months, but. I, I still stick to what I've been saying, that the longer it goes on, the worse it's going to be for Israel. The more blood Israel will have on its hands and um, the more international, um, not just international opinion, but international diplomacy is going to realign itself in, in ways that are not good for Israel. So that, I stick to that. I, ho- I hope I, I answered any question that you had. Yeah, diplomacy slow, disease spread fast, and there's no military option here. Um, Israel will just use nukes, so the only thing is going to be to, you know, for the global populace to just cut them off, which is what the Houthis are trying to do, I guess, in the Red Sea, is cut them off, um, but cut them off completely, sanction them to bring them to heal. That seems to be the only thing that would that would work, that would be a feasible solution. And apparently, and apparently the Israeli economy has, has shrunk considerably since this happened this is taking a big big toll on them and you know they've called called up uh huge numbers of reservists who aren't at at their regular jobs their normie jobs whatever whatever israelis do in their normie work i i don't know what that would be um but uh yeah this this is taking a, a big toll on on their domestic economy right so so it's it's unsustainable for them economically that's a good word isn't it unsustainable you like that I, one? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we pretty much exhausted that topic, I think. Um, what's this about Mayorkas, myocarditis being impeached? I just I saw this on uh, on Skype News. It's an MSNBC article. Um, House Republicans impeach Homeland Security Secretary in historic controversial vote. Uh, Republican led House on Tuesday. This was last week. Narrowly impeached Homeland Security Mayorkas over what they claim is his failure to enforce border laws amid a crisis of high illegal immigration allegations he denies as baseless. Um, you got left and right getting upset about these migrants. Uh, you got New York City talking about issuing $10,000 cards to these people because, you know, for them to buy food because they're, they're not eating the food that they're being given. There's a lot of waste, uh, you know, in these hotels they're staying in. So uh, a lot of people are getting pissed. A lot of people in the in the liberal cities are getting pissed. So uh, all this leading up to election year. Um, so first of all, the first question is how important is this impeachment or is it just, you know, just a show? And secondly, how important is immigration going to be in the, in the upcoming election? As we got Trump pretty much, you know, known as the head guy against illegal immigration. Well, okay, so how important is impeachment? Um, to impeach, you just need a bare majority in the uh, House of Representatives to then uh, convict, which would cost Mayorkas his job. You need a two-thirds majority in the Senate, and there's not going to be um, 17 Democratic senators who turn against, who vote against Mayorkas. It's not going to happen. So he's going to, he'll keep his job. You know, it's kind of significant in that I think the last time a cabinet member was impeached was somebody in uh, 
it was in the Grant administration or the uh, the um, not the the Andrew Johnson administration. It was shortly after the Civil War, so it's been 150 years. So it, there's some significance there, a little bit. It's just kind of a, a symbol. It's a symbol. The uh, immigration as an issue in the 2024 election, I, it probably will be the the prime issue. The only other thing could be. Depending on how wars go, that could that could overshadow it. But the immigration is 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 massive, and when immigration when immigration just uh, was people when it was just affected other people, then you could ignore it. Um, but it's gotten so massive, and if you are a a black in Chicago or New York or Philadelphia. Uh, it's gotten to the point where you you do see these people. You're seeing them all over, and um, you know they they they're committing crimes. They're not bringing their best. Uh, they're competing with you for for jobs or welfare. And and what's what is the upside for if you are black on the south side of Chicago? What's the upside for you to have um, tens of thousands of of migrants come in and sit on the streets begging for money? Sometimes when your hopes have all been shattered, it's no way to turn Are you sick of censorship? TLB Talk is the cure. TLB stands for Truth, Liberty, and Balance. We are the newest and most unique social media platform to hit the Internet. We were built out of necessity because Big Tech, Big Pharma, and Big Brother are out of control. The only thing bigger than them is when we the people are united. With that vision, TLB Talk was born. Our battlefield is in cyberspace. The battle we're in can be won by clicks of buttons and voting with your wallet. TLB Talk has no hidden agendas, no corporate funding, and we do not sell, trade, or give away any of your information. Our platform runs off of generous donations of members and merchandise profits. So please, check out our site. It's the best around. And be sure to stop by our store. It's loaded with items that'll have you feeling a sense of member pride and victory. Come unite with us today at TLBTalk.com and join the social media revolution. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure, expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit, or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Email Tom at republicbroadcasting.org. T-O-M at republicbroadcasting.org. February is Heart Month, and every year, Extendivite has a sale. This year is no different. Extendivite is regularly $69.95 plus shipping and handling for a two-month supply. In February, Extendivite is only $57.50 for a two-month supply plus shipping and handling. Extendivite is a combination of garlic, 
cayenne, hawthorn, bilberry, ginkgo biloba, valerian, and milk thistle. These ingredients work synergistically to improve your overall health. So don't delay. Join the Extendivite family today. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. What is the upside for if you are black on the south side of Chicago? What's the upside for you to have um, tens of thousands of of migrants come in and sit on the streets begging for money? What's the upside for you? Um, so it is, it, yeah, it is. And, and then you, you see the um, the polls, and the polls all have even the polls, which the polls aren't necessarily any more fair or representative than our fake elections, but the polls are showing Biden uh, down substantially, some of them down by seven points. And this is in spite of everything that they've been throwing at Donald Trump. And then one other thing is you're going to have in many states, two or three other options to vote for. And these are options that are more likely to appeal. Like if you are a, a, uh, a black on the South side of Chicago, not that Illinois is really a swing state, but let's just say you're black in Philadelphia. Pennsylvania is a swing, swing state. You, well, you might, you know, you don't want to vote for Biden. You might not vote for Trump, but Cornell West is going to be on the ballot. So just vote for Cornell West. And that is um, half as good. That, that's like a half of a vote for Trump. And uh, you got Cornell West for the um, uh, the young purple haired people. You've got uh, the Green Party. You've got, uh, I guess it'll be Jill Stein again. And she got in the first Trump election. Did she get 2% of the vote? She got, she was got at least 1%. Um, she got a significant share of the vote in 2016. And I, I would think she may, may well get uh, that much or more again. And then of course you've got Kennedy. Kennedy was attractive to some people on the right, like uh, uh, Mark Dankoff, but um but I think if you look at the polling, he does tend to draw more from from Biden than from uh, than Trump. So it's it's really going to be tough for for them. Uh, we, we have no idea what they're going to pull out of their hat. And you could you could have some sort of, if not October surprise, maybe a super, September September surprise where uh, Biden suddenly just says, "Okay, I've been nominated by the convention, but I, um, I I'm going to withdraw." And then they they would they could parachute Newsom into uh, the Newsom chlamydia uh, ticket that you've been envisioning, Jeremy. That could happen. Yeah, and RFK is doing his own party, right? He's doing an independent run. Yes, which, as you mentioned, is going to draw from Democrats. And then how the Israeli genocide of Palestinians is going to play into it. Trump supporters don't care; they're cheering Israel on. The the objections coming from the left, from the Democrats, from their 
most extreme base. So, uh, you know, there's literally no one that represents them in opposing Israel, the Democrat side. Yeah, so so they would vote for they would sit out the election or vote for um, uh, Cornell West or Jill Stein. Uh, any of those sitting it out or voting for either of those two candidates is like half a vote for Trump. Very interesting. Yeah. Otherwise, what? Otherwise, they would have just voted for Biden. By these are all people who would have voted for Biden four years ago. Mm-hmm. Yep, it will be an interesting year. Um, I got us coming up on 48 minutes. That's right. Joe, um, Patrick, thanks a lot for joining me. And uh, it was classy as usual. Please try to stay classy, if you would. I'm working at it. It is a struggle. Tune in tomorrow. Gonna wait till the cows come home to get your new ease off drop and lift? What in the world is an ease off drop and lift? Our ease off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure! And the ease off installs fast, the effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my ease off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E A Z E O F F.com. And hurry because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Ease off LLC. 417-932-6419. This is RBN, the Republic Broadcasting Network.